Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to foxcitiesmm.com hover and simplify your domain journey today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Waltikins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, we're kind of getting back into the rhythm of this now after our yeah. month and a half break. I feel pretty good. I do too. Okay, good. So, <laughs> that's good. All right, so what do you got for us today? Uh, I got some murder. You got some murder? Yeah. No mayhem, though? Probably not, no. but some definitely some murder. All right, so where are we going today? Well, <laughs> we're going to be in Black Creek, but we're going to go there through Kakana. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so we're passing through Kakana, everybody, going to Black yeah. Creek. <laughs> yeah, and next time is also Kakana. And if I'm not mistaken, that's a really inefficient way to go to Black Creek. Right? Depends where you're coming from. Well, if we're here. <laughs> from here is probably From is. the podcast studio, it's in a very inefficient It would probably way to be very blackers. inefficient, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're starting out with uh, a lady named Florence Rosenthal. And uh, and actually, even before I get there, I got I to gotta throw something out there. This episode was primarily written by my sister so i want to give i want to give credit before i start i did go through and i modified some things so it's more like how like i talk and stuff but but she did do the original notes so gotta give credit there that i did not i did not do the groundwork on this one is that because this was a murder that she turned you onto or no i was already i was already aware of it and in fact i even had like the newspaper articles pulled and ready to go but for whatever reason she tried she tried her hand at writing one and um she probably did a better job than i would have done <laughs> so so these notes are primarily hers there are like i said there's some modifications and whatever but but uh again got to give some credit like so people don't think that should i had her on the podcast right too, but i mean like know? i don't want to i don't want to be accused of plagiarizing or something because like cause i didn't actually write most of this so all right well let's go to black creek okay Florence Rosenthal uh, was born in 1935 in Kakana to Edwin and Cecilia Rosenthal. Uh, even though she was born in Kakana, she graduated from Wrightstown High School. It's a little bit outside there. She was employed later, not when she was born, of course. <laughs> she was employed at Appleton Juvenile Furniture Company. And when she turned 20, she married Marvin Kilsdonk at Holy Cross Catholic Church in Kakana. So back to Kakana. Okay, so now we gotta we gotta take a few steps back. She got hired by who? It doesn't matter. She worked, at, she worked at a App- furniture company. But it was called Appleton Juvenile. Yeah, I know it's That's a terrible a we- name. It's a weird name. It's a weird name, but that is that is what it's named. Okay. Okay, so they got married at Holy Cross Catholic Church in Kakana. Now, you're from Kakana. I am. Uh, so tell me, where did they have their wedding reception? Uh, Venables. They had Venables. <laughs> yes, they did. They had, see? 
I wondered, do it does everybody in Kakana still have their reception at Venables, or is that just a, think, our generational thing? But this so this is in the nineteen fifties. I mean, so that's like wow. 50, fifty years at least people having wedding receptions <laughs> at Venables. But yeah, I've been to so many there. Um anyway, so they, they had their honeymoon in Niagara Falls, like you do. So Marvin was originally from Little Shoot, um, and he was employed at a dairy in Menasha. Okay. So <laughs> we got this. These are our two primary people. We got this now? Yep. Okay. They move out to Black Creek onto farm property, 189 acres. That is a massive amount of land, huh? That is a massive amount of land. Um, Marvin had actually farmed in the past growing up with his brother, um, but he switched to the dairy business and really, you know, kind of grown out of the farming even though he had a massive farm. Uh, and, you know, things were all fine and good. But then bad things happened. Always bad things happen. Bad things happen. One of these episodes, we're going to have a good thing happen. Yeah. Probably not. June 1963, Florence has a baby. <laughs> <laughs> the baby is named Jeffrey. We are not trying to imply that having a child is a bad thing. No, I was definitely implying that. <laughs> I was definitely implying that. Uh, so they have a they have a young son named Jeffrey. Fast forward to December 1963. Christmas is approaching. Florence and Marvin eat their breakfast together, and Marvin leaves to go to work. He said that sometime he later said that sometimes after he goes to work, Florence would go back to bed because he left very early. When you're in the dairy business, you're up, you know, before the sun and everything. Their son, Jeffrey, was still asleep during the breakfast. So Marvin goes to work. Sometime later that morning, a Bible salesman was going door to door through the neighborhood. And it's likely that he stopped and talked to Florence about Bible sales. Marvin returned home from work later that afternoon. He found Florence under the kitchen table in a pool of blood. Wow. She had been stabbed nine times. Jeffrey was on top of the table, unharmed. Okay. Unharmed. But he was a baby, so he should not be on top of a table. That's a bad place to leave a baby. How old is Jeffrey at this point in time? He's just a few months old. Okay, so it's it's not Jeffrey then. I, I, the way this story was headed. Oh, I you thought it was going to be the kid? Yeah, I thought no, it was no, going to no. be Jeffrey. But no, it's, it, it, I, I hope it's not Jeffrey because that would be a very I would skilled be child. super impressed <laughs> if it was Jeffrey. I don't think anybody suspected him. So how does the... And maybe we're coming to this, but but how does the Bible salesman get into this story? Is this just somebody they interviewed because they knew he had been around that area? Right. Okay. Right. I mean, I can. That's not spoiling anything. The Bible salesman doesn't really have anything to do with anything, except when they're trying to like narrow down a time of who the last person there was. It it was probably the Bible. Well, besides the killer, it was. <laughs> it would have been the Bible salesman. Because he was going door to door that morning. But he was not ever like a suspect or anything. anything. Yeah. So Marvin doesn't really like what he sees. Not surprising. He goes, he goes, drives a half mile to Pat Kettner's home and calls the police. Strangely, he leaves his son behind when he leaves. I don't know if he's just in shock or what. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to go with shock on that one, right? (laughs) Okay. He bursts into their kitchen. He goes, call the sheriff. My wife has been murdered. Mrs. Kettner called the police and then went with Marvin back to his house and she helped take care of his son. Apparently, 
the dad is either too in shock or just does not know how to take care of babies. I'm not sure which. Maybe both. Florence is wearing a house coat and a nightgown. So apparently it must have happened pretty early in the morning because she hadn't changed out of her pajamas yet. Her glasses had been knocked to the side of her head and she had lost one blue slipper near the archway from their like foyer area, foyer, however you want to say that. She appeared to have been shucking peanuts at the kitchen table just prior to the murder. Marvin said that she had planned to spend that day making holiday candy and cookies, so she was probably making chocolate-covered peanuts or something. The breakfast dishes were still in the sink. She had not done the breakfast dishes. dishes The radio was left on. An autopsy was performed, and it was decided that she was most likely not sexually assaulted. So she was obviously murdered, but... she wasn't wasn't anything else going on there. A rural Menashe man was interrogated because uh, he had been seen sleeping in his car in the area the morning of the murder. Pretty much not not considered a suspect. Just picked a bad place to take a nap. Yep. <laughs> For the next day, an armed deputy stood guard outside of the farmhouse uh, as they collected evidence and did things of the sort. Uh, The mobile state crime lab showed up at the scene. The authorities brought Marvin and two other people, who were not named, in for a lie detector test. He passed the test. So Marvin, obviously like the primary suspect, but early indications show that he probably wasn't the guy. Police tried to find a connection to crack the case. There had recently been a brutal pig slaying in Washera County, (laughs) and the killers had not been caught. And yes, I said a brutal pig slaying. Two pigs had been stabbed to death in Washera County. I mean, it's a reasonable lead, right? It's reasonable. But it just seems kind of silly. Florence was also receiving unemployment. As part of receiving unemployment, she had to apply to multiple jobs each week. She may have met someone during this process. She was primarily looking at waitress jobs. So maybe somebody met her at one of these restaurants and didn't like her very much. The Postcrescent spoke with Mrs. Merlin Liebergen, a friend and neighbor of Florence. Liebergen said the two families often attended church together at St. Mary's in Black Creek. Florence had big plans for Jeffrey's first Christmas, but those plans were now ruined because she was dead. Martin, too, had a renewed interest in farming since Jeffrey was born, thinking, maybe I should get back into farming now that I have a son to go into farming with me. But now... They weren't sure if he was going to do that anymore. Florence's funeral was held in Black Creek, and she is now buried at St. John's in Little Shoot. A couple of days later, the newspaper said the police were only hearing rumors and tips secondhand because people were afraid to come forward. They thought if they came forward, they would become the target of, quote, a knife-wielding madman. Sheriff Kelvin Spice, who lived in Kakana. <laughs> was being frequently asked by residents if it was legal to keep a loaded gun in their home, just in case. It was legal, and it still is legal. You can keep a loaded gun in your home in case a knife-wielding madman shows up. (laughs) The December 24th newspaper, so Christmas Eve, noted similarities between the murder of Florence Kilsdonk and the murder of Wayne Pratt in Nina, who we had talked about in an earlier episode. He was uh, stabbed to death at a gas station just outside of Nina. I remember that one well. Yeah. Personally, I don't think that there are really many similarities. They were both stabbed to death, and both these murders are unsolved. But I I can't imagine any situation where 
a housewife from Black Creek is stabbed to death by the same person Person. stabbing a guy in a Nina gas station. That seems extremely unlikely to me. And as far as I... I would also throw out there that more than likely the Nina gas station was somebody just passing through. So it could be that they were passing through on their way back to Black Creek. Yeah. I mean, the guy who randomly stops at deserted gas stations and people's farmhouses. I mean, it's not impossible, but it seems unlikely to me. Were these around the same time? Same year, yeah. Yeah, the same year. Yeah. So Marvin was brought down to the state crime lab in Madison where he was again given a lie detector test, which he passed. So, two lie detector tests passed. Despite passing it, they impounded his car to check for evidence. Nothing was found in his car. Uh, He realized at this point that police weren't going to leave him alone. They were going to follow him around and try to catch him doing something he shouldn't have been doing because even though, you know, there wasn't really any evidence, he was the primary suspect. And they had nothing else to go on. They had nothing else to go on. So he hired an attorney to represent him. And his attorney writes a letter to the public. That was published in the Post Crescent. It says, Marvin Kilsdonk has suffered a tremendous personal tragedy as a result of the brutal slaying of his wife. He has been under a severe emotional strain since this terrible event. He has cooperated fully and assisted the investigating authorities to the best of his ability in attempting to solve this crime. He has voluntarily submitted to two lie detector tests and to numerous interrogations by the sheriff's office. In spite of this cooperation, and even though they have taken possession of his home and automobile, they have not brought forth one piece of substantial evidence tending to link him in any way to the crime. So, just trying to get the the PR out there, being like, this guy didn't do anything. Like, stop making him look like the bad guy here. Do you know, did this cause... The, pl- the police to back off at least a little bit? Probably. Strangely enough, a few months after the murder, a stainless steel steak knife was found inside the lining of a bedroom chair inside of the Kilsdonk home. Marvin was no longer living there. He moved out. He didn't want to live in that house anymore. So he was renting it out to other people who apparently were okay with living in a murder house. <laughs> uh, and they found it. And they thought this was very strange that they found a knife inside of a chair. So they turned it in. Um, It was noted that the blade was slightly bent and there were stains near the handle. It was found by the tenant when she was looking for lost coins that she had dropped behind the cushion. Of course, she didn't find the coins. She found the knife. The knife was turned over to the sheriff's office. They sent it to the state crime lab. The chair was also taken and examined. Because you've got to be thorough. Yeah. The state crime lab reported back that the knife was probably not the murder knife. The stains were fish blood and fish scales. So for some reason, for whatever, who knows, somebody had their fish cleaning knife in a chair in the bedroom. But it, but it didn't. <laughs> that, that seems really weird. That but. seems really weird, but it didn't have any human blood oh, on God. it. So it was probably not the knife. Let's see. Some various other odds and ends. Uh, bloody handprint was found. But they're not sure if it was actually from the killer or if it was maybe just something that somebody left at the scene after the fact, being careless. Uh, so that's that's fun. There was money in the house, but it wasn't taken. So if it was a robbery, they weren't very thorough about it. Uh, there were no signs of a struggle outside of the kitchen area where the wife was found. So it was just pretty much they came in, killed her, and left. There was hair found in Florence's hand, which usually is a 
suggesting that she grabbed at the guy's hair. Yeah, like struggled. Um, but bit. this being the 60s, they couldn't do anything about wow. that. And yeah, that's that's about it. The only other thing that they found suspicious was that uh, when Marvin found his wife, he went a half mile away to somebody's house to call rather than the house's nearest his house. But he, he explained that, that that was the person who he knew. So he went there. And I, I, I find that plausible. Yeah. I mean, and I would think that the first thing you're going to do is you're not going to go knocking on random neighbors that you don't know his door. You're going to go to somebody you trust and like, you know, right. Have a relationship with and be like, dude, you know? Yeah. So they were relatively, I mean, this is back in the day when neighbors knew each other. So he probably knew his neighbors, but he was still relatively new to the area. So yeah, I would, it doesn't surprise me that he would go to somebody who he knew well rather than just any old neighbor. Leaving the kid in the house was a little weird. That's I a guess, little weird. But I guess at the same time, you're really in, in a panic. Hopefully he you, took the kid off the table at least. <laughs> <laughs> what we know about this murder, it suggests that this happened really early in the morning. And he's coming home probably in the evening, I'm guessing. or t- yeah, Well, mid-afternoon because mid- he works so early, he's done by mid-afternoon. Like, so he's probably coming home at 2 o'clock. But literally that kid sat on the mm-hmm. kitchen table for, what, eight, nine hours, probably, which is just crazy to think. I mean, that's that's possible. Now, the, the time of death, uh, we actually have that information. The time of death was put between 7 and 8 a.m. So, so yeah, it'd be like six or seven hours, hours of that kid laying there. That's crazy. And this this murder, to me, is just like, there's so many weird things about it. Yeah. First of all, it doesn't appear like it was robbery intended at all. I don't think so. Now, you know you know murder better than I do. Oh, okay. So, so right. in my mind, you stab somebody nine times. Yeah. That's usually out of anger, um, passion, something something along those lines. There's not a normal person that doesn't stab that stabs somebody that many times just for the sake of stabbing them that many times. Would you agree not, with that? Not a normal person. So, there I mean, are I mean, completely uh, insane people that right. will do that. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that there's ever like a guarantee. Like, oh, this person was clearly had a personal connection, and they were angry. Like, I agree with you. That's that's what it would suggest to me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, this could just be an absolute crazy, crazy person. person. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's not enough here to even guess it at who it is because yeah robbery doesn't seem to be the motive if if there's nothing taken uh i don't know what kind of like jealousy motive there would be i mean they these people were married almost right out of high school so it's not like she's got angry ex-boyfriends or anything like that yeah so i don't know who they would even think would would do this and on top of that it's out in the middle of the country so it's not like somebody's just going to stumble upon this house walk in and be like, I'm going to chop somebody up. You know right. what I mean? Like, this is just really weird. And I can see why the the police pushed so hard on the husband. Yeah. Because really, in my head, that's the only thing that makes sense. Right. And, but I, I'm fairly confident based on what you've said that he didn't actually do it. I don't, th- I don't think he did. I think being that he was at work, he probably had a pretty good alibi of not being home. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
He had a pretty good alibi of not being at home and and now the grand there's some wiggle room there because he he was a dairy driver so it's not like he was working in a factory next to like twenty other guys people, so he could have theoretically swung by yeah. but even still but it's so out of the way like it's a it would be really unlikely yeah because didn't you say he worked in Manasha he worked in Manasha yeah, so. And I mean, I assume for people listening, you know, if you're listening to Fox Cities Murder and Mayhem, I assume you're familiar with the Fox Cities. But if you're not, Black Creek is like 20 minutes, 15 maybe, north of Appleton, and Menashe is like south of Appleton. I mean, it's. I mean, it's it's not that far away, but it's far enough that it's. But you're looking at like a 30 minute drive, probably one way. One way, yeah. To get from work. I mean, depending on where work, yeah, work is. Yeah, I, I imagine someone's going to notice if you are if you haven't made any deliveries in an hour. Someone's probably going to notice that. And even if he was out doing deliveries mm-hmm. and he stopped and, and did this, yeah, in theory, he'd, he'd have to park a milk truck in front of the, the house. He'd have to park or, a milk truck in front of the house. He'd probably have somewhere. blood on him for the rest of the day. I mean. Yeah, I, it's. I I agree that I mean given what they had at the time like they didn't have DNA they didn't have that kind of technology mm. to work with I mean you got to do what you got to do and and the most likely suspect is always the husband so I get that but this guy seems pretty in the clear to me Yeah and this is one of this is almost like one of the scarier stories that you've told because it's so like It's absolutely scary because it's just like there's no I mean I I can understand why it's unsolved because there's nothing there. Right. Like, I right. mean, where do you even start to figure out who could have done this? Right. No, it's very scary because, yeah, like I said, they the people were kind of afraid to talk to the police because of the, quote, knife-wielding madman. And I and I think that's a funny way of phrasing it, knife-wielding madman. But that is, that is scary. Like, Black Creek, I don't know what the population was in the 60s. But now it, nobody nobody lives in Black Creek. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is killed apparently at random, uh, yeah, I think I'd be scared. Yeah, and and it's just unbelievable because it does to me sound like somebody personal to them killed them. And they're, I feel but, like they'd probably again unless they're nuts. I feel like they would at least have to know whether someone's going to be home or not. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, just the idea of just somebody randomly stumbling upon this house going and killing somebody. Yeah. And then the fact that they completely left the kid there unharmed and yeah. stuff like that. It, it, it's almost like there was an agenda. Yeah. And it's just really creepy. <laughs> yeah. So, But we don't know. We don't know. The, yeah. The, uh, the sheriff's department re-looked at the case in 2005 and... That's all we know is that there was a news report saying that they were going to reopen it, relook at the case. There was never a follow-up article. So my assumption is that that didn't help. Yeah, they looked <laughs> at it and said, yeah, there's still nothing here. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Marvin, the husband, he passed away in 2020, so two years ago. He passed away at age 85. Again, pretty sure he's not the guy, but either way, I mean, he's gone now, so... Mm-hmm. You can't even ask him any questions anymore. This is one of those things where I'd like to actually see the case file sooner or later, because I'm sure there's a couple of things in there that, you know, obviously didn't make the paper. But I, I generally am of the impression that there wasn't much they could do. You know, you could walk around Black Creek and ask people like, 
hey, who's the craziest guy you know that <laughs> yeah, would do yeah. this? And they they throw like, oh yeah, you know this guy. He's he's he would totally do it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the best you could do, right? Yeah, that's really scary. Yeah. And, well. Yeah. So you know, for all we know, there's a guy who murdered this woman, and he still lives in Black Creek today. Well, he'd be like. 80, 90, 90 years, years old, old so. but he could still be there. Yeah, that's true. And either way, even if he's not still there, he was there. Yeah. I mean, if he, assuming he's local, if he's local, there was a guy living in Black Creek for decades who that, had murdered somebody and they didn't catch and him. And from, from what we can tell, murdered somebody for really no apparent reason. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, if there was a reason, I feel like they would have made some sort of connection right. to it. So. Yeah, that's just terrifying. Yeah. So, I guess, I mean, sooner or later, I'll try to get the file on this. But my guess is there's not probably a lot in there. And um, the sad truth of the matter is these files have a tendency to disappear. These these days, uh, the police are a lot better about that. So, I don't, don't, I don't want to be, like, crapping on the police or anything. But, like, a lot of times when a file is 50 or 60 years old, what happens is, is, like, some detective took it home with him one day, and, just... and they forget to bring some of it back. <laughs> like, that's really common. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of times you'll, you'll get a really old file, and there's you can tell that there's pages missing. And, uh, and I'm assuming now, though, it's all digitized, so it doesn't well, sure, matter, right? Well, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, right. But, I mean, so. but, yeah, now I think they have a better understanding of, like, how not to, you know, ruin the evidence. Yeah, well... Not have one file that everybody takes home right. <laughs> and forgets to bring pieces right. back. But no, seriously, that's that's no joke. That's what that's what would happen is a lot. Or if it was old enough, they'd just toss it completely mm. because you know they'd be like, "We haven't solved this one in thirty years. Guess we're not going to solve it. it." And you know they don't do that anymore because now now we're aware of the fact that technology always changes and something could happen. But back then, I mean. Nobody in the sixties thought, "Oh, yeah, DNA is going to come." Yeah, like you know? we should we should st- store this hair, and right. when, when we can test it, we can. <laughs> right. If they would have, if they would have taken that hair and preserved it properly, maybe the case would have got cracked and solved. But I'm sure that they threw that hair oh, out well, decades ago. ago. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, kind of a sad one for you. At least we brought the references back to Kakana again for you. Yeah, so. like I say, next time to Kakana too. Yep. As usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Sounds good. Yeah, and feel free to send out uh, suggestions for stories. I've got I've got plenty. I'm not running out by any stretch. But if you've got a favorite, I mean, let us know and I can bump it up the list. Yeah, and you can put that to milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. That would be great. Yep. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.